Let's turn to James chapter 2, verses 20 to 26. And while you're turning there, I want to warn you that we're going to read some things that James says in this passage that sound like he's contradicting what Paul says in Romans and in Galatians. Let me give you an example. Paul says in Romans 3.28, get the first slide up there, and that, there we go. Paul says, one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, so Paul says, Romans 3.28. James says in James 2.24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That sounds like a contradiction. But what I hope to show you this morning And as we look more closely at what James says in chapter 2, he is saying the exact same thing that Paul says in Romans and in Galatians. So let's dig in. Look at what James writes, James chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. Start with verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now in verse 20, read that again, James says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So James wants us to understand that if you think you have faith and you don't have works, there's a problem. Your faith is useless. Okay, so let's let's dig a little deeper into that. What is the problem with a faith that has no works? What's the problem? A couple weeks ago, we saw from verses 14 through 16 that when James talks about not having works, he's talking about not obeying God. So it would be, you'd be not having works if, for example, you, you didn't love God's word and study God's word. Or if you weren't devoted to prayer, that would be not having works. Or if when you're tempted, you don't fight against sin, that would be not having works. Or if you're not part of a Christ-centered community where you have brothers and sisters that you're devoted to, that you're loving, that you're serving, that you're bearing their burdens, you're praying for. Or if you're not reaching out to lost people with the gospel. So any of those and many others would be examples of what it would mean to not have works. And James says that if we think we have faith, but we don't have works, we're not obeying God, then our faith is useless. Useless for what? Read verses 20 with 21. Read those two verses together and we'll see. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. So, if our faith doesn't have works, 
then it's useless in terms of being able to justify us. If the faith we have doesn't produce works, then that faith, James says, is useless. Now, why is it so important that we be justified? I'm praying that this morning you'll, you'll leave here with a deeper, more powerful love for what it means that God has justified us. I hope you'll leave this morning loving the doctrine of justification. You'll think, I'm justified. What an amazing thing. So let me try to unpack that. What, is, what does it mean to be justified? It all starts with the fact that we've sinned and are unrighteous before God. And because of our unrighteousness, we deserve judgment, punishment from God forever. Now, God loves us, cares about us. And the only way that we can be forgiven by God, can be loved by God, can be friends with God, can have God be our loving Father, the only way that can happen is if God can look at us and see us as being completely righteous in His eyes. That's the only way. We who are unrighteous, the only way we can be forgiven and not be punished by God is if God can look at us and see that we are completely righteous in His eyes. And so in great love and mercy and at great cost to himself, he did not spare his own son. He sent his own son, Jesus, to the cross. And Jesus, at great cost to himself, set his face to walk to Jerusalem, knowing that awaited him there the cross. And Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. He lived a perfectly, morally blameless life. And God did all of that so that we could be counted as having Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. God has made a way for you and me to be justified. It's not that we become perfectly morally righteous, but we're clothed with Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. Here's what this means. If you're trusting Jesus right now with the faith that produces works, that faith isn't useless. It has justified you. God has counted that faith as Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. And right now, as God looks upon you, he sees you as perfectly morally righteous, loves you. He delights in you as if you were perfectly morally righteous. Now, are you perfectly morally righteous? Okay, a little more confidence there. Are you perfectly morally righteous right now? No, you're not. Does God see you as perfectly morally righteous? Yes. How? By faith alone in Christ alone. That's what we're talking about here. But James' warning to us is, if you think you have faith, but you're not obeying God, that faith is useless for justifying you. God will not count that faith as Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. Because James is talking to some people here who are very quick to say they trust, they believe in Jesus, but they're not obeying him, which shows that their faith is not real. That's who James is talking to. Now, some of you may be in that same place. And so I'm praying that this morning, God, in his love and mercy, just like a surgeon, will just will cut right through the deceptions and the lies and the rationalizations and show, if it's the case, will show that you don't have true saving faith. And I'm praying that some of you this morning, if this is what you need, I'm praying that you this morning will come to true saving faith and leave here clothed in Jesus' perfect righteousness, reconciled to God, which is so crucial because until that happens, you're not. He loves you, but until that happens, you're not. So, that's what James is saying in this passage. 
And he wants to teach us that by talking about what happened with Abraham. So let's ask the question next. How was Abraham counted by God as perfectly righteous? James tells us in verses 21 through 23, read verse 21 first. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? This is a puzzling verse, troubling verse. Justified by works. Pastor Steve, didn't you just say that we're justified by faith in Christ? And I did say that, but here James says, Abraham was justified by works. Now that can be terribly misunderstood. We could think that James is saying that Abraham's act of offering his son was so righteous that it finally, finally earned Abraham the status of perfect righteousness before God. Finally, Abraham, you've made it. You are now perfectly righteous. You're justified. We could think that's what James is saying, but that's not what James is saying. Because in verse 23, James tells us about how Abraham was counted perfectly righteous 15 years before he offered Isaac on the altar by faith alone. And there's nothing about works in verse 23. Let's read verses 21 through 23. I want you to see this for yourself. So verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was acting along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now, what we have to understand is that James here is talking about two different events. In verse 21, he's talking about the time when Abraham offered up Isaac. God does call us to do hard things sometimes. And Abraham obeyed God and offered up Isaac. He knew God was going to bring Isaac back down from the mountain, You can read that if you read carefully. He knew that he was going to bring Isaac back down from the mountain. God had given Isaac to him. He trusted God. God was testing him. So God does call us to do hard things, and Abraham obeyed. That's verse 21. But in verse 23, James talks about something that happened with Abraham 15 years earlier. Now, here's what happened 15 years earlier. Here's the background. Before being saved, Abraham was an idol worshiper. You can see that in Joshua chapter 24. And in that time and in those cultures, idol worshiping included rituals that were horrifying, absolute abominations, and Abraham was an idol worshiper. And because of God's justice, because of God's righteousness, God has to, had to punish Abraham. Abraham was under God's wrath, not a friend of God, separated from God. Abraham was unrighteous before God. But because of what Jesus would do thousands of years in the future, God came to Abraham in mercy and said, Abraham, I'm going to lead you to an amazing land you don't know about, but I'm going to lead you there, and I'm going to bless you. And through your offspring, I'm going to bring my blessing to every people group of the earth. And then a little bit later, God took Abraham out to the sky at night, and he said, look at all the stars. And he said, Abraham, that's how many offspring you're going to have. Now, Abraham and Sarah hadn't had any children yet, and they were getting old. And then Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what took place. 
and he was called a friend of God. So that's what's being talked about in verse 23. So Abraham believed God, and God counted his belief as righteousness. And as a result, he was called a friend of God. So Abraham, at the moment he put his trust in God, he moved from being unrighteous and under God's wrath and not a friend of God. At that moment, by faith alone, he moved to being righteous, perfectly righteous in God's sight, having a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness, past, present, and future, being a friend of God, being completely forgiven of God. And is there, again, anything about works in verse 23? Nothing about works in 23. What did Abraham do to have that happen in verse 23? Believed God, okay? Now, how does God count Abraham's faith as a lifetime of perfect righteousness. That just sounds so strange. And I heard an illustration from John Piper. I couldn't find exactly where he wrote it, but I've got a vague recollection in my mind, so I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit, but I hope this helps some. Here's the illustration. Imagine that a father comes home from work one afternoon, and at dinner time he says to his son, son, the car needs to be washed. And listen, if, if you'll wash the car tonight, I know you've been dying to have me take you to the football game, wash the car tonight, I'll take you to the football game tomorrow, okay? Now, to go to the football game, the car has to be washed. If the car's not washed, can't go to the football game, but if you wash it, we'll go, because it has to be washed. The son says, okay, finish dinner, and the father takes off to go to a business meeting, back to work, and the son, he's got lots of time, the whole evening's in front of him, so he procrastinates, plays little computer games, watches a little bit of television, and he forgets all about washing the car. It gets late, he falls asleep without washing the car father comes home late from his business meeting about midnight, pulls in, sees that the car wasn't washed, walks in, sees that the son is asleep. And then at great cost to himself, the father goes outside and he washes the car. Next morning, son wakes up, remembers, didn't wash the car. Oh, we can't go to the football game. Walks out to the kitchen table, father's there drinking his coffee and says, dad, I'm, I'm so sorry. I know you, you wanted me to wash the car, and I didn't do it. I have no excuse. I procrastinated. I forgot all about it. I'm sorry. And imagine that his father says to him, Son, I love you. I washed the car last night. The car has been washed, and I'm going to count your sorrow as you washing the car. You didn't wash the car. I washed the car at midnight last night. It was cold. I washed the car. You didn't wash the car. I washed the car. But I'm going to count your sorrow as you washing the car. Now, again, understand the illustration. Did the son wash the car? No. The father washed the car for him. Was the son's sorrow the same thing as washing the car? No. But the father counted the son's, washing, uh, the son's sorrow as washing the car. And when I heard that illustration from John Piper, I thought that really, really helps me to understand what is going on here. And that's exactly what God did for Abraham. And that's what God does for us in justification. I hope you're loving this doctrine. Justification. So see, we've all sinned against God. We are his enemies. But God sent Jesus, who washed the car. Now, that, that's such a 
little thing compared to what Jesus did. Okay, so here's where the analogy breaks down. Jesus lowered himself to become a man, humbled himself to the, to the sake of becoming a man, from being fully God to being man, with all the weaknesses, all that was involved in that. And then Jesus lived a perfectly moral life, the perfect moral life of trusting the Father, loving the Father, perfectly obeying the Father. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. And then Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins, to take the punishment I deserve upon himself. He was punished 2,000 years ago for Steve Fuller's sins. As he was on the cross in agony for hours, it was my sin. That's what my sin deserved. That's what your sin deserved. So at great cost to Jesus, at great cost to the Father to not spare his own son, but to send him to the cross, Jesus lived the perfectly morally righteous life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we deserved. He did that for us. And when Abraham had faith in God, God looked ahead to what Jesus would do, and God counted Abraham's faith as a lifetime of, a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness. Now, did Abraham live a life of perfect moral righteousness? No, okay? Did Abraham live a life of perfect moral righteousness? Not at all. I mean, really, he lies about Sarah. I mean, he's, he, just, he's just, he was an idol worshiper, and even after he was trusted God, he still wasn't perfectly morally righteous. So no, Abraham did not live a life of perfect moral righteousness. Who did? Jesus did. Did you live a life of perfect moral righteousness? No. Who did? Now think about this. The moment you put your trust in Christ, God counted your faith as a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness. Past perfect moral righteousness, present perfect moral righteousness, future perfect moral righteousness. You aren't perfectly morally righteous, but God counted your faith as Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. And so he looks at you now and he sees you in Christ as perfectly morally righteous. That's justification. That's how Abraham was counted by God as perfectly morally righteous. Verse 23. Now in your margin, don't do this yet. Notice again, any works in Genesis, in verse 23, James 2.23, any description of works there? I didn't see, anybody see the word works there? No. How was he counted as perfectly morally righteous? By faith. Okay, any works in verse 23? No. Okay, come on now, help me here. No. How is Abraham counted as perfectly morally righteous? By faith. Okay, good, we're getting it. That's how it happens. Now, if that's true, then why, in verse 21, does James say that Abraham was justified by works? What does he mean there? Let's raise that as our next question. In what way was Abraham justified by works? In verse 21, James says Abraham was justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. That cannot mean that because of this obedience, Abraham finally had enough righteousness that God could now count him as perfectly righteous. It can't mean that because God had already counted Abraham as perfectly righteous 15 years earlier, as in what he describes in verse 23. Okay, now, let me illustrate it like this. Take out your Bible. If you have a digital Bible, I'm so sorry. 
but take out your real Bible, all right? My bias. Digital Bibles are awesome. But take out your, 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 your paper Bible and turn to Genesis 22, okay? Genesis 22 is where Abraham offers his son Isaac on the altar, okay? So put your finger in Genesis 22. That's where Abraham offers Isaac. And then turn back to Genesis 15, okay? Seven chapters earlier. And read Genesis 15, 6. Genesis, Genesis first book of the Bible. Okay, you got Genesis 22, seven chapters earlier, chapter 15, Genesis 15, 6. Then he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. That's where James gets that verse. So seven chapters before Genesis 22. So you see Genesis 22, seven chapters earlier, about 15 years earlier, Abraham was counted as perfectly morally righteous. Okay, now, if that's the case then in what way was Abraham justified by works? Seven chapters later, 15 years later, in Genesis chapter 22. What does James mean when he says that Abraham was justified by works in Genesis 22? Here's what I think he means. He means that Abraham's works showed that he had genuine faith. He had genuine faith back in chapter 15. Verse 23 of James 2. The moment he had genuine faith, God counted that faith as Jesus' lifetime of perfect moral righteousness, and he was completely forgiven. And he continued living by faith. Had ups and downs, basically an upward trend. He wasn't perfect, but he was seen as perfectly morally righteous that whole way. Chapter 15, chapter 22, he obeyed God, offered Isaac on the altar, and that showed that his faith was genuine. Okay, did Abraham's obedience earn perfect moral righteousness from God in chapter 22? No. It showed that he had the faith that connected him to Jesus who did earn his perfect moral righteousness. So Abraham was justified by faith alone in that it was his faith alone that connects him to Jesus who gives him perfect moral righteousness, who covers him with his perfect moral righteousness. But then Abraham's obedience justifies him in the sense that it shows that he has the genuine faith that connected him to Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. Does that make sense? Huge difference, night and day difference. So here's just one practical takeaway. This coming week, when you sin and the Holy Spirit convicts you, you were maybe impatient with your kids, maybe you lied about something at work, entertained some lustful thoughts when you're convicted of sin and you feel guilt, you don't need to try to do something good before coming back to God. You should never try to do that because that means you think you're trying to earn your way back into God's favor, which we can never do. What should you do? Faith. You come as you are, sinful, just like when you were first saved. Jesus, I trust you. Forgive me for this sin. Cleanse me from it. Change my heart. Help me never to do it again. And the moment you look to Jesus by faith, you can be completely assured that God has forgiven you and sees you as covered with Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. I would guess many of you, when you sin, before you really can come back to God, you think you've got to do a few good things to get back on God's good side. It's not the case. It's sin to try to do that. You come to God as you are, appealing for his mercy. We can't earn anything from him. It's mercy alone, through Christ alone. So what 
James is talking about in verse 21 is that Abraham is justified by works in the sense that his works showed that he had justifying faith. Now, you can see this in verses 22 and 23. Look at what he emphasizes here. He emphasizes how Abraham's works showed something about Abraham's faith. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and his faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So his works show all these things about faith. His works showed that he had the faith that did justify him. So his offering of Isaac showed that he had genuine faith. Flip it around. Imagine that Abraham had been called by God to offer Isaac on the altar, and Abraham said, no, I'm not going to do that. What would that show? That would show there was a problem with Abraham's faith. There's a problem there with his faith. Difficulty there with his faith. And so he would not have been justified unless he'd repented and put his trust in the Lord. He would have been assured again of being justified. And that's James' point in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works. That is shown to have justifying faith by works and not by faith alone. Okay, so let's be really clear on, on what James is saying and what he's not saying. How is Abraham justified? If by justified you mean how is he connected with Jesus' perfect moral righteousness so that God, he was a friend of God, forgiven by God, completely righteous before God, how did that happen? By faith alone not by works. How was Abraham's faith shown to be genuine? By his obedience, by his works. His works don't earn him any righteousness. His works simply show that he has the faith that connects him to Jesus who did earn righteousness for him. Night and day difference. And that's what James wants to make sure we understand. That do, you, do you love God for the fact that he's justified you? I mean, here we are in ourselves before we were saved, unrighteous, at odds with God, facing his judgment, and there was nothing we could do to become righteous. Try as we might. We'd already sinned, and even our best efforts would still be tainted with sin. We can't earn righteousness from God. We are lost. We need to be saved. There's nothing we can do in ourselves. And in great mercy, God sent Jesus at great cost to the Father, at great cost to the Son, in great love, in great compassion, in great mercy. I mean, listen, church, the God of the universe loves us. Look at how he loves us. And he sent Jesus to do this. And so the moment you turn and say, I trust you. I'm weak, I'm sinful, but if you'll save me, if you can change this heart, if you can forgive me, I trust you. And that moment, with no works, faith alone, justified, Completely morally righteous, past, present, future, forgiven, friend of God, all the way to heaven, you're saved. And then through your life, you show that by works and by obedience. Now, there may be a question in some of your minds at this point. Somebody may be thinking, how can someone as sinful as me have that happen to them? You don't understand, Pastor Steve. I have sinned in some very shameful, very horrifying ways. How could I be ever counted as perfectly morally righteous. I think James wants to answer that question in verse 25. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Remember the story? Okay. God had called his people to go and take the promised land. Joshua sent two spies into Jericho to check it out. They, uh, they, they, they stayed in this little hotel owned by Rahab who happened to be a prostitute. The king found out that the spies were there, sent his soldiers to find the spies. 
Now, Rahab, interestingly enough, as you read the story, she'd heard about what God had done in delivering Israel from Egypt. She'd heard about the parting of the Red Sea. She'd heard about how God had been leading the people of Israel, providing for them through the, with the manna. And she'd heard about God, and she had come to the point where she said, God, I trust you. You're beautiful. I see your amazing works for Israel. I trust you. And the moment Rahab put her trust in God, God counted her faith as Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. She became a friend of God. She was forgiven, even though she was a what? Prostitute. James emphasizes that in that verse for this very reason. Even Rahab the prostitute was justified now, the same way as Abraham was, by faith alone with no works, and then that faith was real, so it showed itself in works, justified by works, that's what James means. Faith alone, justified, clothed with perfect righteousness. That faith is real, it shows itself in obedience. That's justified by works, that's what he means there. And so here's the word to some of you. If you think you've sinned too much to be counted as perfectly morally righteous by God, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because Jesus' righteousness is so gracious, his work on the cross is so powerful, his love for you is so deep, so beautiful, so wonderful, that no matter what you've done, and I really mean that, no matter what you have done, you can be fully assured this morning that when God looks at you, he sees you as perfectly morally righteous, and he says, you're my friend. There's my friend. Angels, there's my friend. This one, my friend. But didn't, don't you know what he did? Yeah, but look, he's perfectly morally righteous in Christ. He's my friend. Listen, some of you need to hear that this morning. I know you do. I don't want you leaving here this morning under a cloud of guilt. Let's let the Lord break that off of you this morning. Let's let him bring a fresh assurance that you are perfectly morally righteous because of Jesus, by faith alone. Oh, Lord, do that this morning. Okay, one more question. And that is James' main concern in this passage is, again, people who think they have faith, who don't have works. So one more time, why are works so important? This is where he ends this section of his book, verse 26. One more time, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Listen, if you don't have works, if you're not obeying God, your faith is dead. Unless something changes, your faith is dead. So important. James had some listeners who were deceived on that point. Some of you may be deceived on that point. You may think that because you went forward at that meeting 15 years ago, because you signed the card 10 years ago, because you prayed with your mom to ask Jesus into your heart eight years ago, you may think that because you did that, even though there's, you're not obeying God, you may think that you're saved. And please listen to what James says here. If there's... If you're not obeying God, faith without works, James says, is what? It's dead. It's dead. Now, the reason the Holy Spirit had James write these words was because God loves you. God wants you to be set free from the deception. God wants you to be fully saved. He wants you to see that you're not saved, that you could be saved this morning. So here's an illustration. Think about a light here and a battery here, okay? Now, if the, if the light is wired to the battery correctly and there's no light when you turn the switch on, where's the problem? Battery's dead, right? So if you, if you tinker with the light, if you jiggle the light, if you, you know, shake the light, it's not going to change anything because the battery's dead, right? Same with us. If 
There's no works, and works are produced by faith. What's the problem? Faith is dead. Just like the battery's dead, faith is dead. So you can, you can tinker with works. You can try harder to do works. You can have people holding you accountable to get works going. But if your faith is dead, there won't be works. The only way to get works is, is to recharge your faith, just like the only way to get light is to recharge the battery. So here's the wonderful news, and that is if you will turn to Jesus Christ just as you are, with the sin in your heart, the gunk in your heart, the junk in your heart, you turn to him just as you are. Remember, he said he came to save sinners, right? Uh, it's not the healthy who need the physician. It's the who? Sick, okay? It's not the righteous who need Jesus. It's the who? Sinners, us, every one of us. So you come to Jesus, the physician, the Savior, as a sinner, and you say, I'm a sinner. Help me. Forgive me. Change me. Wash me. Satisfy me. And I promise you, if you mean that, he will. He will. Instantly, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you become a friend of God, clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. All your sins paid for, past, present, future, he sees you as perfectly righteous in Christ. And that faith will start to change your heart so you will start to want to obey. You'll want to obey. You'll want to glorify God. You'll want to please Jesus Christ. You'll want to love your brothers and sisters. You'll want to obey. That's what will happen. And I would guess that some of you need to do that this morning. And I plead with you to do that on this basis. Look at God's love at great cost, not sparing his own son, his own son who he loved, but sending him. And Jesus coming at great cost to the cross, humbling himself to be a man and then going to the cross. And at great cost, Jesus lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died. And if you will simply turn and put your trust in Jesus, say, I trust you, forgive me, change me, satisfy me. Instantly, righteous, friend of God, changed and works will flow. Look at God's love for you. Look at his compassion for you. Look at his mercy for you. Turn and trust him. Let's have the worship team come up. I want to pray this over us. Lord, I ask that you pour out your spirit upon us here, Grace Church, right now. Everyone who's here. I pray for any here who think they have sinned, sinned too grievously to be forgiven by you. Too grievously to ever really be your real friend. Who think they've sinned too horribly in order to be counted as perfectly morally righteous. God, show them the cross. Show them your Holy Son's perfect moral righteousness. Show them the mercy of your salvation. Show them the beauty of justification. And help them to, in a fresh way, turn, trust you, and then pour out your assurance upon them today, I pray. And God, for any here who, who have thought they had faith, but who don't have works, please, in your mercy, show them that that faith isn't saving faith and it's useless, but that they can have saving faith right now by turning to you from the heart and crying out to you for help. And I pray that they would do that right now. Come and work, I pray, Lord, for the glory of your name.